Hey everyone, this is John. Thank you for dropping by the Barncast today. I have a very special episode, a guest you may have seen on YouTube or TikTok or maybe Instagram, Facebook. I'm talking about Vanessa, also known as That One Catholic Girl. I've been watching her YouTubes and videos and listened to her podcast for quite a while. And uh, I really think she's probably one of the very best at explaining why Catholics believe what they believe. She's just extremely knowledgeable and, and has a good way of presenting facts on her presentations, within her presentations. So grab yourself something to drink and sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello there, Vanessa. This is John with Catholic for Redneck. How are you doing? Hi, John. I'm doing very well. How are you? Oh, I'm just excited to hear from you. Do you know how long I've tried <laughs> to get in touch with you? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I never get my messages on social media anymore. I've heard the same thing from a lot of different people. Well, we've had some internet outages here today. Oh. Well, um... I first, when I used to work for EWTN, I -hmm. worked in security at the front gate. And I worked the six at night to six in the morning shift in a little security booth. It was called the shack. And Mm -hmm. I'd been Catholic um, probably three or four years. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing to do between, you know, for 12 hours, I would watch Catholic YouTube. And guess who I ran across? Who? (laughs) I ran across you. And I just started watching. And I, you know, I I still watch. And then I know you started your podcast. And then I know you were on, you started to get on TikTok, which I was never on till recently. And you're there too. So tell me how all this got started. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for honestly supporting me since the beginning and watching my content. John, you were like the first person that ever actually took a liking to my content. So it really inspired me to keep going. So I thank you so much for that. Like your support and sharing my content really helped me out. But I started creating Catholic content in 2018. I was dating a Baptist. And he would ask me, I was doing the Baptist for about three years. So since like 2016 until the end of 2018. So it was almost three years we were together and it was starting to get serious. And we were thinking, you know what, let's figure out if we're going to get married or not. And at this point in his life, he started diving more. as like accompanying him, going to his like Protestant services and just supporting him. But he would ask me questions about the Catholic faith. And I quickly realized that I did not know how to answer any of his questions. He would ask me, why do you guys go to confession? Why, why do you guys do this? Why do you call your priest father? And I would always just like randomly come up with answers because I didn't know. I've been a cradle Catholic my entire life, but I had never really been questioned like how he was questioning me. Now, my mother is from a family or she has seven siblings. So she's from a a family of eight children and all of them were raised Catholic, but only two of them turned out Catholic. So when I was younger, my cousins of my aunts and uncles who were, who identified now as born again Christians, they would attack me for my faith, but I didn't really understand that they were attacking me. I just thought that they were telling me the truth. They would say, you know, you're going to go to hell. And I was just like, Probably because, you know, I do sin like I was just like, you know what, there's there's justification to what they're saying or rationality to what they're saying. And I went to a Lutheran school from kindergarten to eighth grade. So I was kind of used to receiving feedback from people against the Catholic faith. But I didn't know that there was a major key difference until I started dating this Baptist who would ask me a bunch of questions about the faith. And I remember there were two particular conversations that we had that really like drove home that I wanted to learn more. 
One of them was that he told me that if we got married, our kids can never celebrate Halloween. And number two, he asked me who Our Lady of Guadalupe was. So let's go with Our Lady of Guadalupe story first. He asked me that question and I was just like, oh, Juan, I have to run and go use the bathroom. And I ran and used the bathroom, quote unquote, but instead I was Googling who Our Lady of Guadalupe was because I honestly did not know. And I fell in love with her story. And because of falling in love with her story, I started getting more active in the church because they were giving talks about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I remember Halloween was coming around. So I asked my parish priest, Father Chan, I said, Father Chan, are we not supposed to celebrate Halloween as Christians? And he's like, no, we are supposed to be celebrating Halloween as Christians. It's a Catholic holiday. So because of that, I started researching more about the Catholicness of Halloween and I fell in love with it. And so quickly, whenever my boyfriend at the time would ask me questions about the faith, I would make sure that I would have an answer and I would have an answer by researching the faith. And I fell in love with defending it. I'm a huge arguer, I'm a huge debater, like give me any topic to debate on, even if I don't agree with the position you want me to take, I will debate that topic and I will win the debate. So I had it in my mind that I was gonna win every argument that we would have about the faith and I was ready. So I started researching the faith, defending the faith against my ex-boyfriend. And what's so funny is that Halloween was really what broke us up because it was Halloween night I was at his church and they were giving a play about how you should not celebrate Halloween. And after this play, there was a prayer service and I sat down next to him and I was praying and he was praying and both of us, our eyes were filled with tears and we looked at each other and I told him, I can't do this anymore, one. And he's like, Vanessa, I can't do this anymore. We need to break up. And it was truly because we were pushing each other more and more into each other's faith and which was causing us to like separate our own relationship from each other. So we ended up breaking up, but at this point, I had already started creating Catholic content on YouTube. I had like 80 subscribers, so no one was really watching. It was mainly my mom and various YouTube accounts that I made to subscribe to my own channel. So yeah, so really there was no one watching my stuff. But after our breakup, I realized, you know what? I have this knack, I guess, for talking about the faith or defending the faith. And I think it would be useful for other people who may be in the same position that I am, that maybe have family telling them that they shouldn't be Catholic, or maybe they have, they're in a relationship with someone who isn't Catholic who's telling them they shouldn't be Catholic. So I just started making YouTube videos. I post one a week about certain topics that I found interesting, like Our Lady of Guadalupe, Halloween, um, all of my Catholic books. And people started taking a liking to it. Now, my channel is still kind of small at this point. It's a little less than 10,000 subscribers. And for the time that I've been on YouTube, in the YouTube world, it's a fairly small channel. But through this ministry that I have gotten started, I've ended up making some lifelong friends and networking with people within the Catholic media field. And it's really been super fruitful. I always knew that I wanted to go into media in some way. I studied communications in college, and I thought I just wanted to be on the radio. I'm a huge fan of Mark Levin. I've always been a fan of him ever since I was a child. He's a, con he's a conservative commentator, and so I've always been a huge fan of his radio program. And so I knew I wanted to be on the radio, but I didn't know why. So I studied communications in college, but it wasn't until I found a love for the Catholic faith that I realized that I wanted to go into Catholic media, specifically Catholic radio. So I started consuming some Catholic podcasts and radio where I found out about Catholic answers. And frankly, they have been like a crush for me. Like I don't have crushes on boys anymore. I'm, I'm still fairly single. So if any reviewers wanna get married and start a huge Catholic family, I'm single and 25, okay? Um, and I'm from Los Angeles and I have a communications degree. Anyways, and also have a huge um, library of Catholic books. So if that interests you, I got all of it. So um, I found a huge love for the Catholic Answers um, company, and I became a huge fan of them. And so because of this, I started like reaching out to them through email, um, on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram. I made myself pretty known by them. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that they know my name. 
but um, a lot of their apologists have supported me by, you know, just suggesting my content, like Trent Horn has recommended my content, which honestly, I don't even know how that happened. Um, Keith Nestor, he's not through Catholic Answers, but he also has supported my content greatly. And it's just been such a fruitful experience. Now, I know that I want to go into Catholic media when I grow up, um, but I don't know when that growing up is going to be. But I have to thank, honestly, everyone for just continuing their support with me in this ministry. This past four years that I've been doing it um, has been a whirlwind. I've gone through various like personal life experiences and everyone has just continued to support me. And I got to thank them so much. And I'm right now trying to dabble more on Twitter um, to grow my ministry a little bit more there. It's a little hard because people will attack you on Twitter. So I find myself on TikTok a lot. And surprisingly, the youth on TikTok are very receptive to the Catholic faith and the truth. And I'm finding that each more, like more and more day to day. And because of this re recollection that the youth really want the truth, I started working at a Catholic church and I'm a confirmation director. I started in June. And so right now I'm like working one-on-one -on -one with high schoolers, teaching them how to defend the faith because that is something that I missed when I was being catechized about how to defend the faith and honestly, I just love defending the church and knowing about the truth and the history of the church. I think it's a beautiful thing. And so I want to further that knowledge in my students, whether that be through social media, my students on social media, or through my students in the classroom. Well, Vanessa, you're very articulate and you have oh, your ducks you. in a row. I know that used to, I would watch you and you would have like your big sippy cup, your McDonald's. Yes. <laughs> be in the mall. Mm -hmm, you know, exactly. right there in the middle of the mall with your boyfriend sitting mm -hmm. there. And or you'd be sitting in your room at home and you just crank it up and go. And yeah. um I heard one of your I, I think I'm not sure if it was a podcast or your um whatever it was, it's where you laid out the uh timeline of the authority mm -hmm. of the church from Jesus to Peter all the way through scripture. Yes. It's really good stuff. It's really good. I, I, okay. I did a YouTube today and I mentioned that I was going to have you on the podcast mm -hmm. and I was saying if she ever wanted to be an attorney, she <laughs> would be a really good one. Cause um, I remember your story about arguing with your coworker over the yes. um, battery cars, the electric cars, yeah and and you come up with with questions to ask him that frustrated him and and i wanted to know do you uh, is that just come natural to Ooh. be quick-minded quick like that you know what i'm not too sure my parents i will um you know there's this term called karens the people who like will argue with the managers well yeah. i think that there's some like I think that there's some Karens out there that like are good, like because sometimes, you know, managers and people in customer service, they need to know where they're falling short. And so my parents were never ones to not speak their mind when we would go places or with people. And so since my parents are really good debaters and argument, argue, argumentative, I kind of got a little better at that. Also, I think my consumption of watching or listening to Mark Levin growing up, um, just like talk radio. I was never one to listen to music. I always only listened to talk radio. And then I just, I guess I'm, I have two sisters. So I guess I just have practice at home arguing, but I never thought that I was a good arguer or a good public speaker. I remember my first class in college when I um, first started at my community college back in 2015, it was a public speaking class that we were required to take. And the first class, the professor made us go up in front of the class and introduce ourselves. And I said, hi, I'm Vanessa. And I'm really, really shy. Like, I'm like so shy. And I kept telling everyone about how shy I was. Mm -hmm. And my professor was like, Vanessa, you don't come off as shy at all. And after that moment, I realized like, hmm, maybe I'm not that shy when it comes to public speaking. One-on-one, -on -one, I get kind of shy, but when it comes to public speaking, I am never shy. And I always wondered why that was. And it's truly because whenever I speak, I make sure I know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't want to ever lie to anyone. I don't want anyone to ever question my judgment or question the information I'm giving them. So if I'm going to speak on a topic or debate a topic, I make sure that I know everything before I start speaking. 
And if I don't know everything, I will go, I don't know, let me get back to you because I never want to lead anyone in the wrong direction because I will never probably change my mind on a lot of different topics. I'm very stubborn, I'm hard headed, but I recognize that a lie or, or a truth that I tell someone could drastically change their perspective on something going forward. And a lot of people in my personal life, for whatever reason, they trust my opinion. And so I just from that, I recognize that, you know, I want to be prepared when speaking on any topics, because I never want to lead anyone astray. And especially when we're talking about the Catholic faith or Christianity, because this, although it's not a life or death situation on earth, it's a life or death situation when it comes to eternal life. So I find that very important. And it's funny that you mentioned my um, my iced tea consumption. I have, like I said, my whole journey through all of my apologetics throughout these four years has taken like a change or whirlwind. So first I started out with unsweetened tea and now my fixation is diet root beer. So um, I've grown, I've, I've, I've changed, I've evolved into the woman that I am, which is drinking a bunch of diet root beer, probably too much. And it used to be burritos, right? Oh, it still is. It very okay. much is still burritos. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Now, I grew up with my two brothers. I'm the oldest. And then my middle brother passed away a couple of years ago. I'm so sorry. And his son has kind of replaced him in this. And then I got my little brother. And the three of us agree on nothing. You name oh. a subject. I don't care if it's religion, politics, uh, which is the best breed of dog, music, hair color, but you just name it and we'll give you three different heated arguments. I mean, we don't agree on anything. Even when we believe the same thing, we disagree. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you this because um, I, I do, you said that people look up to you and I look up to your faith and the way you present your faith i want to ask you this when rolling back to when you were with your family and your family would just straight up tell you tell you you're going to hell as a catholic Mm -hmm. and i know that you get a lot of comments on youtube and instagram what have you do you get mad when people attack the faith i never truly get mad and I don't know if that's just like a personality thing I'm never one to really get angry or like I'm not very sensitive um but I notice a lot when defending the faith online or talking about the faith online I was nervous about starting my YouTube channel my mom told me I couldn't start it when I in 2018, she told me I couldn't start it because people were going to attack me. And she didn't think that I was going to be able to handle the criticism, whether that be about me personally or about the faith. But I, for whatever reason, have almost used all of the criticism that I receive as fuel. And I see it as like, good criticism, I can't remember the word right now. Oh, constructive criticism. So any like, comments I get that disagrees with the faith. It just furthers me into my studies to try to prove a point. And I try to never act with my emotions or my feelings because I recognize that, you know, majority of the time, it's either a troll who is saying something offensive, or it's someone who's just been misinformed or is ignorant. And we need to pray for that individual that their heart be like not hardened and that they have their eyes like wide open and their heart open to receiving the truth. And even if that specific individual isn't, there could be someone going through the comment section of a video who may be, who may actually be wondering about the truth. So I always try to go about things with charity, even if sometimes it may get your heart pounding. I just take a second, I take a breather, and I think about how would I want to see someone else respond in this situation. And I lack patience. That's a virtue that I did not get a lot of, and I need to practice it every day. But surprisingly, I am very patient when it comes to people commenting about the faith or commenting about myself. And something that I've been practicing recently is before I go into any study or if I'm trying to write an article from like my website or write a script for my YouTube video, I pray right beforehand and I'm not the best at prayer, like personal prayer. There's some people who can lead prayer amazingly. I've never been one of those people. Um, My prayer is like, hi, God, it's Vanessa again. And 
but what I do is I go like, okay, God, I, I trust you. And I, I'm asking you to give me the strength and to lead me to send out the message that you want me to provide to my viewers so that they could grow closer to you, or at least if maybe if they don't grow closer to you, but that they dive deeper in their own personal study and um, further lessen their hearts, I guess, to the truth. Well, you're a lot more mature and kind than I am, because uh, <laughs> you ever watched The Sopranos before? Of course, Anthony Soprano. Like, I have a huge crush on him. Okay. <laughs> I well, love Anthony Soprano. Me and him are like the same person. Oh. And you know how he gets upset at stuff. That's yeah. what I am. So I'm not. I'm not good at debating because mm -hmm. I. Um, step over into my flesh and emotions real fast. Mm -hmm. I was a police officer and I was a Marine and those two personality types usually yeah. are aggressive and punch back real quick. So I don't even, usually I don't read any comments mm -hmm. because you know, from putting out Catholic content, you're going to get a lot of trolls. Yes. And Took me a while to realize the difference between someone trolling and someone saying something out of misunderstanding, and then the other category of someone that's really asking you questions. So let me ask you this: um, mm -hmm. What would you say is probably the number one question you get when people question your Catholic faith? Um. So it varies greatly, um, but majority of the time when I get asked any question about the faith where it's really like genuine and it's not like trolling, it often comes down to questions about the apostolic succession and or how do I know that the Catholic Church is the one true church? So they'll bring up like little topics within that, like, oh, you baptize babies or, oh, um, it says call no man father. So it all encompasses like the authority of the church. So a lot of my discussion is that way. And I was speaking with the student earlier this week. She asked me in class um, or right after class, she wants to have her friend um, come and learn more about the Catholic Church. And she asked me, what is the best way to do it? And I said, you know what? Introduce her to the authority that Christ wanted for his church and really hit home about what does Christ want his church to look like? And then dive through scripture, you know, look at the four marks of the church, look at the apostolic succession, look at the history of it all and see what really catches her attention. But truly it comes down to the authority. And I think that this is something kind of interesting because I was talking to my sister about this recently. So my sister and I know these two people and their entire lives, they were taught to be atheists by their parents. And when their parents found out that they weren't like atheists anymore, that they were like agnostic or they were just questioning about, you know, a higher power, their parents got mad. And I told my sister, I'm like, you know what? People act like they don't believe in God, like atheists act like, oh, I don't believe in God. But our bodies have a longing for a higher power. And whether you're worshiping God as an our God or you're worshiping, you know, maybe your body or you're worshiping money, you're always kind of putting something higher than yourself. You will blame it on the universe or blame it on Mother Nature or blame it on the stars. But people are always looking for something higher than them, something that has more authority than them. And that is why we have authority. Um, it's a great way of having structure. You know, we have presidents, we have politicians, we have policemen, we have principals. We love authority and our body has a longing for that. And so I always find that when I'm talking about the faith to really hit home on the authority of the church and this necessity of authority. And people are very receptive to learning more about that. For whatever reason, we act like we hate authority or we hear it like, oh, like get rid of authority. But we have a longing for authority and we have a longing for the truth. And fortunately for us, it's found in the church. So it's easy to find that authority and find that truth as Catholics. But I find that that's why a lot of Protestant Christians fall away from their faith or start watering down their faith because there is this lack of authority. Well, um, you know, I, I was Protestant all my life till I was 50. And mm -hmm. that's about the time I started exploring the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And as a Protestant, evangelical believer, whatever you, whatever label, 
to me, our authority was based on the Bible alone. Mm-hmm. But the Bible itself does not teach that. No. And I, I had a um, my lieutenant in the police department, a female lieutenant. She was a mm-hmm. nurse. Then she became a police officer. And here we are. She's got like a all He-Man Alpha Wolf crew at night. There's like 20 of us. And she's in charge of us. So here's this lady that is skillful, skillful enough to um, lead a group of men. Wow. <laughs> you know, sometimes with police, there's a, a blurred line between them being really good folks and they could almost be a Tony Soprano. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, to my amazement, she became Catholic. Wow. And it shocked me. It really shocked me because I really, all my life, I questioned the intellectual capacity and logic of anyone that could be a Catholic because in my mind, the Bible was a supreme authority and mm-hmm. the church was somewhere uh, like the Bible. If it was a train, if Christianity was a train, uh, the Bible would be the choo-choo train, you know, the, <laughs> the, uh, the front and then uh-huh. the church would be the caboose way back mm-hmm. there right and i had it backwards and she told me we were debating on facebook because i used to be a troll believe it or not anytime <laughs> i saw a catholic anywhere i would snipe at him and i told her one night i said i don't believe anything unless it's written in the bible and that's my only authority and then she said john she said what a what did the early church use as their authority because they had no Bible for mm-hmm. hundreds of years from the time Jesus went back to heaven until 300 years or so later, who was their authority? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had never thought about that. Wow. That had never entered my brain mm-hmm. that there was a gap between Jesus and the Bible. So what would be your easiest way to explain to a seeker or a skeptic that that the church that the church has to have that authority for the for for us even to believe the legitimacy of the Bible? How, how do you explain that in a in a nice way? So what I would do is that I would dive back into the Bible because that is our common ground when I'm talking to someone who has the Bible as their sole rule of faith. And I would engage in the conversation of that slow scriptura or so the scripture alone is not grounded in scripture. But I would then go into verses where we see that Jesus Christ is establishing a church And then we need to look at what are the qualities of that church. And then we need to look for what that church is. And so I did this on my channel um, about a year ago where I dived into, or actually it was a few months ago, but it was like, what is a church? What does it mean to be a church? And what are the qualities? So we see that Jesus Christ established a church in Matthew 16, 18, and that this church would prevail until the very end of age and it would prevail against Hades and that there will be disciples made of all nations. And so we see him establishing a church and this established this church is going to be all around from two from 33 AD until today. It will still be around. And then we see that Jesus Christ, I believe it's Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, talks about that it will be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we see that's built on the apostles and the prophets. Then we go to 1 Timothy 3 15. It mentions that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. So we understand that when St. Paul is teaching about the church, it's not to Timothy. He's not saying like, oh, it's just this thing that you can kind of consult or you don't have to go to or you don't like it has no authority. No, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And he also mentions that if anyone like sins against you or trespasses against you to take it up with them, if they don't listen to you, take it up with someone else. If they don't listen to that person, take it to the church. And even if and if they don't listen to the church and he puts emphasis 
on the importance of listening to the church and basically do away with them. So we see that the church has this authority to it. And then we see apostolic secession. St. Paul speaks about it in scripture. So that is very important to hit home on. And what's really cool is that we have history. So we can go back through history and we can trace all of our priests, all of our bishops, all the way back to the 12 apostles. And we see this passing on authority and this need to fill the office of bishop. And we see this secession taking place. And if this person that you're speaking with is open to reading like other things other than scripture, then I would suggest looking at some early church writings, stuff by Ignatius of Antioch, the Didache, stuff like that. And even if they're saying, well, that's not an infallible writing, we can agree. Those are not infallible writings, but they can give us an understanding of what the earliest Christians believed or thought during that time. Now, they may have been wrong about maybe the earth like being flat, or they may be wrong about how the world works. But the thing is, is it gives us an understanding of what the earliest Christians believed and their understanding of Christ's teachings. And so if we really want to be in the true church, we need to go back to what did Christ teach? And Christ gave us 12 apostles and he filled them with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And they were instructed to fill their offices if they were to pass away or to make bishops of other nations, make disciples of all nations. And we see this structure happening in scripture itself. We see St. Paul, you know, talking to Titus and Timothy about taking on this role. And also we learn in scripture that not everyone can teach not everyone should have this role but only special people only people who like are like slow to speak and they lay it out all in scripture what a bishop is supposed to be and like i said if we look at history we could trace all of our bishops all the way back to these bishops that the apostles appointed and to the apostles themselves so it's very important to just hit home on history and see what the earliest Christians believed. And like I said, earliest Christians weren't infallibly, which a lot of their letters weren't, we have a better understanding of what Christians believed in the early church. Yeah, that um, that can be a dangerous thing, Vanessa. I remember I used to be, uh, have you ever heard of the prosperity gospel with like yes. Oakland <laughs> and all them? Mm-hmm. I was in that for like 14 years of wow. health and wealth and Joyce mm-hmm. Meyer and Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan. And um, anyhow, I remember being one day, it just occurred to me, I wonder what the early church taught about prosperity, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to a Christian bookstore and I found a big old encyclopedia about three inches wide. And it was called Quotations from the Early Church. So mm-hmm. I bought that thing. This is, you know, before I knew you could go on the Internet, read it for free. So mm-hmm. I bought the thing and I got home and I, I started looking up topics that I was interested in from a prosperity gospel Mm-hmm. perspective and it was told the things that the early church fathers were speaking about when it came to prosperity and tithing and all that was completely different than what I was teaching and believing mm-hmm. and then I would go on to other topics and it took me about 20 minutes of reading through different things and and I, I sincerely, my, my body went flush. The, <laughs> the blood started boiling. I started getting uh, butterflies in the pit of my stomach. And, and I got a head rush because all I could think about when I was thumbing through that book mm-hmm. is I kept saying words like bishop, Eucharist, mass. Yeah. And, and I started thinking, this is freaking Catholic stuff. And then it dawned on me, I just had this thought, how come the way Christians are today is nothing like these guys? Yeah. 
and, and it really shook me up. You know what I did? I put that book in a in a closet and I wouldn't even look at it for years because mm-hmm. it rattled me. So, but as a, let's just say that there's a a seeker or a a, a, a Catholic that doesn't know anything about their faith mm-hmm. or or a baby Catholic. I like to say baby Catholic. Yeah. What and they won't. And I live in Alabama, in mm-hmm. Birmingham area, and there's no Catholics here. And that's how you know. I'm just exaggerating, but we're literally about ninety-seven percent non-Catholic here. So mm-hmm. when it's found out at work or school or wherever you're at that you're Catholic, you're going to take some hits around here. And maybe the person hitting you doesn't even realize they're hitting you, but you know they see you sign the cross at McDonald's, um, <laughs> they see a rosary on your rearview mirror, or maybe you have something in your office, and here they come. You know they just start rolling in. So, what would you advise a listener that wants to be able to explain their faith? What would be the very first step they should take? To get to where you're at. So what I like to do is, well, I'm sure since they, see, I am fortunate. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. And even though majority of the people are not practicing their Catholic, no, I'm not going to say majority. There's a significant amount of people that are not practicing their Catholic faith, but they're, they identify as being Catholic here. It's just like a very Hispanic area. And if you know anything about Our Lady of Guadalupe and the, like, the whole conversion of all those thousands or millions of people in the 1500s, it's very Catholic over here. And so I haven't really received too much crazy pushback. But what I advise the listener, if they're in that situation, they've probably heard the comments from their friends or their family or their coworkers about their questions about the faith. And so what I would really do is I would write down those questions and spend some time like on Google, honestly, like just start Googling the answers, make sure it's a Catholic website though. You know, one that's trusted, not some Protestant or Christian, like quote unquote Christian website, because I used to dive into those and I was very misdirected in my studies. But read what other people have to say on the topics because the thing is that's beautiful about the Catholic Church is we have 2,000 years of history and we have 2,000 years of theologians or other Catholics who also have received pushback from their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it's important to just see what they have said or how they would respond to these comments because they've done all the hard work for us. So that is a first thing that I would suggest. And um, if you're willing to, I would dive in and spend some time, have a Bible out and have the catechism at the Catholic Church out. Because if you're ever wondering what Catholics believe, whether you're Catholic or not, the catechism of the Catholic Church lays it out beautifully. Now, it looks like a huge, thick book that may be so hard for you to understand because I thought so when I picked mine up for the first time. It's massive. But I realized that majority of the book is footnotes. And what's beautiful about this is that it will say something. Catholics, like, it will go, we believe in God. And then at the bottom of the page, it will tell you, where in the Bible do we learn about God? Like, why do we believe in God? Or we believe in Mary being the mother of God. It will give you a footnote as to why it will show you where in the Bible it's at. It will show you in the early church documents where it's at. It will... um. It will refer to other councils, other um, decrees. And so we can look at the footnotes and we can find structure for our belief and facts about our belief. And like I said, I would just dive onto the internet. Like I said, a lot of people now don't trust everything you read on the internet. There's a YouTuber called How to Be Christian. And he would always say, "Don't, um, don't trust me, test me. So what he would suggest is that you would watch his videos and like retain the information he's saying, but don't just trust him because you don't know him. So instead, take what he said and Google it or open your Bible and read what he's saying and see if it aligns with the truth. And what's beautiful and also not beautiful is there is this soul script through that thing, right? So a lot of us, like when we're defending the faith, we 
we want to knock soul scriptura, this belief of the Bible alone and saying like, oh, this is this horrible thing. But what's really nice about soul scriptura for a lot of Protestant Christians is that if there is a belief that they have, they can go into the Bible and see if it's true. And majority of Protestant traditions that do not align with the Catholic Church also do not align with what the Bible teaches. So they can honestly just open up their Bible and disprove these man-made traditions of the Protestant churches very easily. Like Sol Scriptura, now you may argue with people about whether or not your interpretation of these verses are true. Sol Scriptura can be disproved with scripture. The belief of sola fide, which means that we are saved by faith alone, that can be disproved with scripture. And then there's the once saved, always saved Christians who believe that you can never lose your salvation once you're baptized, once you're saved in your church, and you can say the sinner's prayer, and you, um, you're in front of your parish, and you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, that you're saved, and you're always saved at that point. You could disprove that with scripture. And so what I would do is understand what your common ground is. So if you're dealing with someone who does believe in the Bible alone being their only sole authority, then spend some time with the Bible and look at the verses and look at the teachings that Christ gave us or St. Paul taught us to really hit home on the topics that they have or the questions that they have. And like I said at the beginning, when someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer, instead of making up an answer, I always go, that's a really good question. Let me get back to you. And then the next day, get back to them. Because if they genuinely want to learn, they will allow you that time to, you know, dive more into knowing stuff or um, researching yourself and researching stuff. No one's expecting you to be a theologian. Now, no one's expecting you to know every verse off the top of your head. And if they are, then that's probably not a person that you want to even engage in conversation with because you're probably not going to change your mind and the conversation is probably not going to be fruitful for them. But it could be fruitful for yourself because it gives you insight as to other comments or other questions that people who genuinely want to learn about the faith will have. So I would just, you know, spend some time with scripture, spend some time on Google, get out your catechism of the Catholic Church. And if you don't have a hard copy, it's available online for free. There's so many great Catholic resources online and check out YouTube channels like, you know, um, Catholic Answers, there's Catholics for Rednecks um, and look at these YouTubers that you know and trust and um, test them. See what they have to say and test what they have to say and see if it's true and if it's aligns with what the church teaches. Because even if we don't understand how the church came to this understanding. If we trust that the church came up with the Bible, gave us the authority, or the church has this authority, then we don't necessarily need to question how they got there. Because if we believe in the authority of the church, like as Catholics, then we could just trust what they say. But I do suggest, you know, diving more into scripture to get a better understanding as to how they came to those conclusions. Let me ask you a couple of personal questions. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, what is your very favorite thing about being Catholic? What do you love the most? So, from a um, like practicing my faith is obviously receiving the Eucharist. I'm learning more and more about the Eucharist each day and how. We literally, we are what we eat, right? It's like, that's what our moms tell us. And I was telling my students, I'm like, I've been eating so many bean and cheese burritos. I'm going to turn into a tortilla one of these days. But truly, we are what we eat. And so when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we, we are what we eat. It metabolizes in our bodies. And so we're really receiving him. We're really becoming one with him in that moment. So there's the Eucharist. But if I'm like defending the faith, one thing I absolutely love about Catholicism is the history aspect of it. I have a like a love for history. I used to think I was going to be a history teacher growing up. And so I love that we could trace our faith all the way back to the apostles and then seeing the history beyond that, you know, the Jewish roots of it all. And so it's such a beautiful thing to just hit home about the history. But honestly, in practice, it's the Eucharist that really makes me adore the Catholic faith. Who's your favorite saint? Ooh, it changes with the day. So the saint that I had at my confirmation wasn't a saint at the time, but it was um, St. Margaret of Castello, and she is the patron saint of the unborn or 
the unwanted and I'm a huge advocate for life. But I also do love St. Peter and St. Paul just because the way that they taught about the church with such authority, I just love it. But St. Paul, because he, he doesn't care necessarily what he says, he just says it. And I really appreciate that. He does throw it out there, don't he? Um, yeah. The, um, the, the saint, uh, okay, I'm going to redneck his name because I'm, I'm not Hispanic. Uh -huh. um, Martin was the son of a, of a prostitute and he was in Latin America and he's a patron of mixed races. Do you know mm -hmm. who I'm talking about? I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not recollecting any of this. I may, but I'm not remembering it at the moment. I, I just have trouble with his last name. It's either Torres or Porus, Martin, uh, South America or Latin America, and he he was sort of like Saint Francis. He had a fondness for animals, and he had mm -hmm. a gift of healing for animals. He would even do surgery on animals, and uh, he was. Um, it's real neat because he had a he, he had an apparition of Jesus in his cell, you know, his monk cell. You know, mm -hmm. flyers living their little bedrooms called a cell. Yeah. And he said that uh, uh, Jesus appeared to him and was talking to him. He could see his body, and then all of a sudden, uh, Saint Martin spit on him, spit on Jesus. And as soon as he did, Jesus turned the 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 image turned into Satan, and oh. Satan said, "How did you know that I was deceiving you? That I was the devil?" And he said, "Because you had no scars in your hands." Hmm. And I just thought, I don't know why I, I thought to say that, but um, one more thing: you're yes. twenty five years old, and hmm. anybody that listens to your podcast or youtubes knows your boy crazy yes so what tell us because there are going to be some dudes <laughs> i know there's a dude named cj that's going to hear this he's going to uh -huh. hear it and they're going to go and they're going to look at your tiktok and your youtube and what's it going to take for one of these guys to win you over what are you looking for oh that it's been a while since i've thought about it i realize like lately I've been so in my studies that I haven't even thought about dating that I'm not opposed to it because obviously I want to have a big Catholic family but I want to be a stay-at-home mom truly I want to work on my Catholic media and everything but truly I want to be a stay-at-home mom I want to raise my own kids I don't want anyone doing that for me and they're going to be homeschooled so when I'm looking for someone I'm looking for someone who also wants that as well and has an idea of how they will provide obviously they have to be Catholic and I would appreciate if they are practicing their faith and know out, know their faith, but understand that everyone is on their own journey in life. And I understand that maybe it may take a little bit of like a push to encourage someone to start regularly going to mass or regularly receiving the sacraments. But I'm kind of over the whole trying to flirt to convert or the, you know, mm -hmm. forcing someone to be Catholic. I've already been there, done that. Thankfully that happened because now I have this whole ministry that I probably wouldn't have had if I didn't date the guy for three years. But you know, finding someone who has conservative values, traditional values, um, that is a practicing Catholic and they don't even have to really know their faith or how to defend the faith because they could just watch my videos. But <laughs> someone that, um, you know, really puts their family first and by family, their family that they have right now, but also their future family and has that in mind. And that when they're seeking out their future wife, that they are seeking out the future mother of their children. And that's what I'm looking for as well. I'm looking for not just a cute guy to look at or one that like laughs at my jokes or likes bean and cheese burritos, but the man that I'm going to date and then marry has to be who I can see fathering my future children. Because now I want someone that can give me companionship. But I have to also recognize that the person that I choose is the one that's going to father my kids and it's going to be how they perceive the father. So many people perceive God the father by the way that they perceive their own personal fathers. And there was actually a study that was conducted that 
people who are not, who don't have a father figure in their lives, they often turn away from the idea of God. And so I need to recognize that for my future children. Now, of course, I'm going to teach them about their faith and their love for God. But the way that they perceive God the Father is often our own fathers. And so I need to keep that in mind when I'm looking for someone in my life. What's the last concert you went to? Ooh, darn. Uh, which was the last concert? I went to a Set It Off concert, which is like a punk boy band rock type concert. I went with my younger sister. Um, she's really into that stuff. And so I always accompany her. But right now, some boys made me mad on um, Saturday. Just like these like a boy. I'm calling them boys. They're 28 years old, but they're, they acted like boys. And they made me mad. And so I've been lately listening to this punk rock music. And so I'm like, they pushed me into my emo phase. It was country for a little bit, but now I'm, I'm in my emo phase right now as of Saturday. When you say country, do you mean like Florida, Georgia? State yeah, it's more like it's more the pop country, you know, the mainstream country right now. But they make some good music. It's music that I can listen to in the car and not be too worried about my parents hearing because they stay pretty conservative in their dialogue. Right. I went to see Miranda Lambert. Is the oh, last yeah. country concert I went to, <laughs> and the last regular concert I went to see Corn. You ever heard of them? No, I have not. What? I'll see you <laughs> Yes, One, please do. Two of, them, two of them are Christians now. Well, look, as we wrap this up, mm-hmm. oh, if there's a priest listening to this, which there will be, or uh, how, how can someone reach out to you to book you to come speak? Or oh. also, please tell us where we can find your YouTubes and your website and all. Of course. Thank you um, for allowing me to share this. So I have a personal website, which if you go to it, you will find all the links to all my social medias and everything and a way to contact me. My um, website is in my name. It's thatonecatholicgirl.com. And if you just look up that one Catholic girl into Google, I will come up. My YouTube will come up, my TikTok, my Twitter, it will all come up. It's some variation of that one Catholic girl. You just simply have to look up that name. And then if you want to reach me through email, it's that one Catholic at gmail.com. And so I'm fairly easy to find. I'm fairly easy to contact. I may not always reply as quickly as I should. Um, I get overwhelmed with messages sometimes, usually from like bots trying to like spam me, go like, do you want $10,000? We'll send you, you know, those like computer bots. I wish they were real, but they're not. Um, So, um, but that's the way to find me, thatonecatholicgirl.com. My name is Vanessa Forsblad. You could also look me up that way, but um, I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And so I'm pretty easy to um, find. Well, I I sure am glad that I found you and you have really helped my faith and uh, hopefully that a lot of my friends and family will listen to this podcast and go watch your videos, especially my buddy CJ, hint, hint. So (laughs) anyhow, I'll be praying for you every day. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. And it was nice having you on the show. It was great being here. Thank you so much. And I hope we have another opportunity to chat again. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.